Before I jump in this morning, I want to take a moment. Uh, how many of you believe that the church should be a place of prayer? Amen? That is one of the things that God has called this family of believers to be. We obviously know that we are in a time right now with conflict globally. Uh, that's on a lot of uh, people's minds, a lot of things happening. So I want to take a minute to pray because I really, truly believe that's one of the most effective things that we can do. Um, this picture you see up here was a picture that I took several years ago when I was in the West Bank. I've been able to travel several times. Uh, this particular day, I was with our Palestinian brothers and sisters in Christ and pastors. I was at a Bible college um, with them and hearing the amazing things that have happened because how many know the church is alive in that area? Amen? The gospel is moving all over the world. Uh, the days after that, I was with our good friend Moshe, who's been here at City Church. He's a Jewish rabbi that lives in the West Bank. We were eating dinner at Moshe's house when they got, uh, really they, on their phones, that rockets from the Gaza were beginning to fire into the West Bank, and so it was almost like a normal day for them. It wasn't for the rest of us that were at dinner, but it was for them. And so over the, my trips there, over a few weeks, I've been able to be with both sides of this, right? And right now there are atrocious things happening. I mean, just absolute evil. And I know Ephesians 6, Paul reminds us that it's not flesh and blood. It's authorities, it's principalities, it's evil, it's darkness, and there is evil going on right now. And I just want to take a minute and I want to stop and I want to pray. I want to pray for peace. I want to pray for our, uh, the nation of Israel, our Jewish brothers, uh, brothers and sisters who are there, um, our Palestinian brothers and sisters in Christ. How many people who are living um, innocently in the middle of this under an evil regime and rule? Because that's a reality, right? We want to pray for all those people. So let's stop and make this a house of prayer for a moment. If you would, just kind of join me in prayer as we pray through this for the next few minutes. Father, we, we pray right now for your hand to move in the midst of this conflict. God, we, we, we come alongside Paul in Ephesians 6 who tells us it looks like flesh and blood, but there are principalities and rulers of darkness and spirits of darkness at work, and we bring those down in the name of Jesus. Any evil work, Anything that stands against what you want, Father, peace and life and joy, God, we bring it down in the name of Jesus. Any dark rule, any evil spirit, Father, anything, Father, we pray that you would bring your protection and your hand upon this area of the country. We pray for peace to rule. We pray for any evil regime and rulers to be brought down in the name of Jesus. And we speak to this as the people of God coming alongside all of the people involved in this, God. And we just pray that your hand would go forth in such a powerful and mighty way. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. If you would continue just to pray with us during this season, let me remind you as well that during this series, um, the sanctuary is open Monday through Thursday during the week, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. during our office hours. You can come up here at any time, and this space is open for you uh, just to seek God and to pray. Uh, we are in a series called Streams in the Desert. What we're doing is learning to drink deeply from the streams of life that Jesus offers us as we walk through the deserts of this world. And I don't have to convince you that this world is a desert, right? Literally sucking the life from you as you go, but Jesus invites us into a different way of living. He invites us to come and to drink deeply from his well of life. And I'm gonna preach from a topic this morning uh, that is not my forte, is that okay? Is it okay to pre preach from your weaknesses and not always your strengths? I've talked about this numerous times in messages, but I don't know if I've ever had a complete message just on this idea of wonder, of wonder. To live with this sense of awe, of the goodness of God, to appreciate God's goodness and design all around us. Well, I, I find this when I go to the Psalms. 
You ever read this in the book of Psalms? It's everywhere. It seems like the psalmists all the time are just in awe and wonder of who God is. Psalms 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The heavens declare the handiwork of God. It's literally just almost like the psalmists are stopping and, and stepping back for a moment and just looking at God's good creation and say, I just want to take a minute and take it all in and to express to you, God, how good and amazing and wonderful you are. To live in wonder. How many know the greatest example of wonder would be watching a small child, right? I mean, give a small child a blank piece of paper and say, whatever your imagination comes with, and then watch what they do. I mean, go on a hike with a small child and just watch how they pick up sticks and just make it into something and just do whatever they want to do. In our house, it used to be treasure hunts. We would do treasure hunts in the backyard. It didn't even matter what the treasure was. It was just the treasure hunt and a map, and it was like amazing, right? It could be three Skittles at the end. It didn't matter. It was great because they got caught up in this wonder. See, it comes naturally to children. How many know it doesn't always come naturally to us as adults? And there's so much we can learn from kids. Kids learn to live in the moment, don't they? As adults, we either get stuck in the past or sometimes just obsessed with the future. But kids live in the moment. Kids are curious, they're open, they're free, they're imaginative. Many adults at some point in their life, they become judgmental or overly opinionated or cynical or just assuming that everybody's out to get them. Numerous occasions, Jesus draws the parallel between children and the kingdom of God. I'm just going to look at one instance. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Not too many places in scripture do you see Jesus becoming indignant, ticked off, right? How, how dare you, you do this? There's another story in Matthew chapter 18 where the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus once again says, unless you change and you become like a child or like little children, you'll never, never enter the kingdom of heaven. In today's world, we have a tendency to put our kids up on a pedestal. In fact, I would say there's a lot of kid worship going on among parents today. I mean, kids become everything. They become the center of our existence. In the first century, there was nothing like that. In fact, first century, kids were so helpless, they didn't, they didn't have any value to them. They couldn't do anything. Everything they needed somebody to do for them, and so they weren't worshipped in that culture. For Jesus to bring a little child and put them in the middle of a bunch of adults and saying, all of you are trying to get ahead of life, you're trying to push each other out of the way to get there, but you need to become like them. That would have been a radical re reorientation of how you see life and how you understand everything. Jesus was changing the paradigm. This is, again, one, another episode where Jesus shows if you're defenseless, if you're poor, if you're helpless, the kingdom of God is yours. Jesus is always moving to the margins with people. But in this story, the children are not blessed for what they can do by their strength or their power. It's actually what they lack. Think about that for a minute. It's not what you can give us. It's actually what you lack. 
They only come as they are, which are small and powerless, without sophistication and often overlooked. And to receive the kingdom of God like a child is to receive it like one who, one who has no credits, no clout, no resume, no claims, no power whatsoever. You have nothing to bring to the table in order to earn this. It's all grace. It's all undeserved. For Jesus, that's why children are the, kind of the epitome of discipleship, because how many know only empty hands can be filled? Only when you come to Jesus like this does Jesus say, okay, now the kingdom is yours. You bring nothing to the table. It's grace. It's grace. How I many know life is grace? Life is a gift. Jesus says, unless you change and you become like a little child, how many times in life when you look around is it all about trying to get ahead and it's all about getting more and it's all about climbing the ladder of success and Jesus time and time again is trying to, trying to shift us back around. He's saying, I understand the kingdom of, the, of this world is, is just designed about getting ahead in power, but not you. Not you. You're different. You're different. This is a new way of seeing status. A child who can give nothing in return. A child has no ulterior motives. There's innocence, there's a purity. How do you approach your life? How do you approach your life? This is what I deserve. Look at what I've done. Look at where I'm going. Oh, I'm entitled to these things because I'm fill in the blank. Or is life a gift? Is it all grace? All of it I receive with gratitude because I'm entitled to nothing, I'm owed nothing, and all of this is simply a grace. Any Enneagram people in the room? I'm warming up to it. I got kind of just like too many people over the top with this. You probably guessed I'm an Enneagram three, right? Like that was really hard to decipher. An achiever, success, accomplishment, I mean, no, there's always a good and a bad to Enneagram stuff. The light and the dark side. How many of the dark side is sometimes you get to the end of the rainbow, like you get to the pot of gold only to realize you didn't enjoy any of it along the way? Come on, all you Enneagram threes, you should be shaking your head. That's why I wrote a book called The Beauty of the In-Between. Not because I'm good at it, because I'm horrible at it. Because I got to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow a lot of times in life, and I look back and I'm like, man, I really wish I would have enjoyed that more. Then I'd get to the pot of gold only to find out that didn't do it, and so I had to accomplish something else. And how many know you can only accomplish so much before that's a dead-end road? Right? How do you see your life? Is it just about progress and up and to the right and just getting to the next step? Or do I, like, do I stop and just enjoy the place that I'm in? The beauty of where God has me. We're, we're going to follow this for the next few minutes. If you're, if you're taking notes and following along, this idea. Wonder is not an escape from the real world, but a way to be radically present to it. That wonder is not an escape, but I want you to think for a minute what it means to be radically present to the place you're in. What does it mean to be radically present? How many know that's difficult? Isn't it difficult to be radically present? It's difficult. Right here, right now, not stuck in the pain of the past, not obsessed with the next step or where I'm going, but here, 
If some of you in the room, if, if you have kids, especially when your kids are with little, like they make it easier for this to understand. I have, I have a daughter that just lo- loves to lay on the trampoline in the backyard. And sometimes she'll jump and sometimes she'll just sit there and, and, and just like, no, no real agenda, right? Nothing to do, just, just lay there, just enjoy life. Sometimes I look at her and I'm like, that'd be nice. <laughs> that'd be nice. I think I'll go lay next to you for 30 seconds until something else distracts me, you know? That'd be beautiful, wouldn't it? No distraction. See, when you're in a hurry, how many know you're not present? Like, hurriness brings out the worst in us, not the best in us. When you're striving, you don't stop and take it in. When you're busy, you don't see the little things along the way. They become just something in your way to get to where you're going, and you miss the beauty. How many of two people can be in the same place seeing the same thing and have a totally different responses, can't they? You ever been there? You ever been, like, you even know it in your head that you're in a place that you should be enjoying and, like, it's beautiful, but you can't because your soul and your heart are so distracted and so busy and it's, like, frustrating to you. Like, why can't I love this? And you realize that it's not just, like, I need to be here to be, to be where I need to be. It's actually, a, a, it's an issue of the heart. It's a soul thing. I was in college and I, I, I had to take this humanities course, but they were like, if you go on this summer trip, then it covers this humanities course. And I was like, well, what's the summer trip? And they were like, well, we're going to uh, follow the Apostle Paul's footsteps through Greece. And I'm like, sign me up for that trip of a lifetime. If you know anything about me, that's, I'm all about that. And so I remember like at one point we got on this boat and I, when I say cruise ship, this is the worst cruise ship you've ever seen in your entire life. Shouldn't even be called a cruise ship. And we're kind of going from these islands to islands, and we stop at the island of Patmos, where John wrote the book of Revelation. And I'm with like 25 other students, there's a few adults, and then like we're kind of gearing up to get off the ship, and and everybody kind of looks over and they're like, you know what, we've been traveling so much, I think we're just going to stay on the boat today. Yeah, gasp, thank you. I gasped audibly. Like we're just really tired. And I'm like, we have seven hours on the island of Patmos where John wrote the book of Revelation. I've got like my satchel full of a journal and books on the island of Patmos and like a guide to like how to explore the island of Patmos and what can be done and this is a really small island. And I'm like, I've got this whole thing like if we hurry, we can see all 22 of these things in the next seven hours. No, I think we're gonna stay on the boat. You are an idiot. I I I don't understand any of that. And I took the next seven hours by myself, it was the greatest thing ever, and I explored every inch. I went to every church, every grotto, every little store, and I was like, I was eating it up. I was like 21 years old. This is how Pastor Matt partied back in the day. That's how I rolled. And I just came back to the boat and I was like, you will never be here again. And you stayed on the flipping boat. How many of two people can be in the same place? See two different things. So often it is a matter of our perspective, it's our heart, it's the condition of our soul. You're living in between two stories and we talk about this pretty often. The first story goes something like this, everything is hard, people are out to get me, and life is broken. The second story goes something like this, beauty is everywhere, people are good, and life is full of wonder and beauty. How many know both of those stories can be true sometimes, can't they? 
Like we're not up here telling you the second story is the only true story, no. Life's broken. But how many know you can actually train your heart and soul to live in the second story? But the second story is not your default. That's why most people don't live in the second story. That's why most people in their lives do not finish well. That's why people even in the body of Christ, even in this church environment, you know why they drop away from the body of Christ? Because somebody hurts them along the way. Can I tell you that you're gonna be deeply wounded by somebody in the body of Christ eventually? Like, have you, are you prepared for that? Or are you gonna to have to completely deconstruct when you inevitably find out that pastors are fallen humans too and sinful, right? And you don't have to completely deconstruct because you're living with this tension of like, I know that bad things happen to good people, I know there's difficulty, but I'm gonna choose beauty. I'm gonna to choose to see the goodness in people. One of my favorite writers is a guy by the name of Frederick Buechner. Anybody read any Frederick Buechner back in the day? Yes, all two of you, awesome, great. You should look him up. He's a writer and pastor. He actually passed away last August, just a little bit over a year ago. He's actually famous for this very simple quote where he said this, he said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen, don't be afraid. And he would go on to write some of the most beautiful writings and poems and books about creation and mystery and God's beauty. Most people don't realize that when he was 10 years old, his dad committed suicide. A few years later, his older brother would pass away. He would go through numerous trials in his life, one being one of his daughters who would struggle with anorexia most of her life, and he would document the struggle of walking with her through this journey. A man who had significant pain in his life, and yet he would say things like this. Here's one of his quotes. Turn around and believe that the good news that we are loved is better than we ever dared hope, and that to believe in that good news, to live out of it and toward it, to be in love with that good news, is of all glad things in this world, the gladdest thing of all. And he would go on to pen incredible, beautiful worlds of the goodness and the beauty of God and the world around us. You know why? Because he chose the second story. He chose beauty and wonder. Let's talk about this for the next few seconds. How do we rediscover wonder, mystery, and beauty in the world that we live in? Number one, we have to fight against busyness. We have to fight against busyness. We do this by, we slow down and learn to be present in a busy and distracting world. How do I learn to become present to the world around me? You know every morning if you wake up and you pray the prayer, Holy Spirit, would you use me today in the lives of other people? How many know the Holy Spirit will actually use you? But if you're not present and aware, it'll run right past you. I don't know if in the Good Samaritan story, the priest and the Levite, I don't know if, if maybe they were just a little too busy. I've got places to go, people to see, and they forgot their primary calling, right? To love others and to walk in obedience. This is about getting out of survival mode, breaking the cycles that we get stuck in. The importance of just moments of prayer and meditation and just being alone that can recenter us back to the heart of God. I know people that literally put this as alarms on their phone throughout the day, and when their alarm goes off, it's 30 seconds just to recenter my heart around who God is and what God wants to do in my life. 
I'm like, that's beautiful because every three hours I get sucked away and I, don't, I stop thinking about that. We slow down, we listen, we learn to be present. Number two, you have to fight against control. If you're gonna experience wonder and beauty in your life, you have to fight against control. We remind ourselves of the goodness and the sovereignty of God and our heavenly Father. How many know your Father is good? I want you to listen to this. A child's freedom to wonder and to explore and to be an imaginative comes through a healthy dependency, amen? Why does a child feel the freedom to go and do the things they want? Because somebody else has to worry about all the other things. They're not worried about all the stuff, right? Mom, dad, whoever, they're gonna take care of that. How many know you have the ability to wonder, to explore, to be imaginative because your heavenly father is in control of everything, amen? The question is, do you really believe it? Do you believe it enough to live into it? Oh, that I, that I can rest. Because while I rest in my Sabbath, how many know God is still working on my behalf? I'm gonna take this break because I know I need to recenter my life around God and who he is, and as I do that, God's got it. I'm gonna lay my head down, and when I rest, I'm gonna rest deeply knowing my good heavenly Father is working all things for my good. Do I, do I really believe it, or is it just something that I read? Is it just a scripture? Is it something that, man, I, I, I don't know if it's true or not. Number three, you have to fight against cynicism. Cynicism will destroy wonder. It'll destroy beauty. We teach our souls to recognize the beauty all around us. This has to be cultivated. This does not happen by accident. You don't fall into this. You naturally fall into cynicism. You've heard me probably say this before, but there is nothing more heartbreaking in life than a cynical person. A cynical person has experienced a deep wounding, and instead of healing, they live their lives waiting for someone else to wound them. They're literally waiting. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to insulate myself so nobody ever wounds me again. What you're actually insulating yourself from is beauty and life. Nobody's ever going to do that to me again, and so I'm gonna wait because I, I, I kind of tend to lean towards this story that people are out to get me and people are bad, and so I, I'm gonna lean into that and just protect myself, and you miss out on all of the beautiful moments of the everyday, all of the goodness of creation. How many know people can be evil, amen? But they can be incredibly good. And sometimes we miss the goodness of who people are. We fight against cynicism. We cultivate and teach our soul to recognize beauty. Number four, we fight against agendas. How do we do this? We create space for joy and play and the freedom to be like a child. I mean, it's good to be like a child sometimes. It's good to be like a child. Several years ago, my uh, mom and dad got a place on, on a lake not too far from here and it became a little bit of a refuge for our family just to be able to get away. And, and I can see a visible difference in my kids. Like we'll go for maybe a half a day or a full day or something like that. And when they arrive at, at, at Mimi and Poppy's house out there, they understand that like no matter how long we're here, we just get to do whatever we wanna do. And it's almost like they transition. 
And I've got two kids in elementary and two kids in middle school. And so the middle school, it's like, you know, it's childhood from adulthood right now. You're seeing the transition and change. And so I, I can watch It's like, if I just want to grab a fishing pole, they grab a fishing pole. Or if they want to put on a life jacket or if they want to get on the, a paddle board, it's just like, I have freedom to do what I want to do. And even the older kids, I watch them revert back to being like a kid, which how many know is a good thing. Of just playing and having fun. Even my wife who has to manage a lot of stuff in her life. Four kids, a really high maintenance husband, all of the things in life that she manages. Like it's her little happy place. In fact, I took a picture of her a few years ago. Look at her, come on now. My wife's happy place is sunset on a jet ski with nobody else on the water. And like she just turns into like a 15 year old again and just has a good time. How many know you need that in your life? Play, childlike wonder. Every year our staff uh, gets away together for a little while. We do it once a year and it actually is coming up this week, right? So we, all of us, there'll be I think 26 of us in one cabin all together for three days. Come on now, pray for us. Because <laughs> I think 16 of those are kids, smaller children. And it's a beautiful time. We, we do this purposefully. We don't over plan it. Not everybody in their own cabin. We all stay together so that we can spend quality time together. Come on. <laughs> quality time. With not agendas, nowhere really to go. I mean, it, it, like you can go for a hike or something like that. We've gotten a routine the last few years that uh, the adults stay up late at night and we play a game. Uh, and the game is based around kind of like a, a secret killer game. You know, one of those games where like, some people are the secret killers and some people are not, and you have to figure out who is, and you're all lying to each other the whole time. Anybody ever played one of those games? Let me tell you, you see people's colors come out. Oh man, there are people on our staff, I'm gonna tell you, they are such good liars. They are so good. And there are people on our staff that are not. I'm gonna be honest with you, you can look at Tabby and she's gonna tell you with her face whether or not she's the killer. She just can't hide it. She tries to be good at this game, she's not. It's just not, it's okay. It's because you're pure hearted. It's all right. And we'll get into this game, right? I mean, they'll be yelling and then we're like, the kids are asleep, stop yelling, but we're just yelling. I mean, everybody's into it and stuff like that. It's one of those games like at midnight, you're walking back to your room and even your spouse is looking next to you like, I don't know if I can trust you. <laughs> I don't know if I want to sleep next to you tonight, you know? I will say we've been playing this game for four or five years now, and there are times where afterwards we have to go to somebody and ask for their, <laughs> please, please forgive me, you know? <laughs> Wasn't personal, just part of the game. How many know that's a beautiful thing? Even during our time together, it's like, yeah, you wanna go down and sit by the fire. You wanna go for a hike and walk along the river. You wanna read a book, take a nap, play a board game in the middle, in the middle of the day. How many know play is good? For us, play can look like a lot of different things to you. It can be painting. It can be doing a spreadsheet for all I know. I don't know. Weird people out there. Be going for a walk. Be free. Be present to the moment. Be creative. Let me say this real quick. There are people in their lives that try to fill their lives with nothing but play. That doesn't work because you're created with purpose to work and to serve so people who try to fill every moment of their life with play end up being somewhat um, dissatisfied. But play should be a part of your life. Do you have Sabbath rest and fun in your life? 
You wouldn't believe how many times I'm counseling with people, and this sounds really, really basic, but they're maybe going through a darkness or maybe some idea of depression or maybe they're, they're walking through some sort of darkness in their life, and one of the questions that I ask them is, what in your week do you look forward to? What enjoyable activities do you have? Are there any hobbies that you have that you're like, I look forward to this? How many know you should have some things in your life that you just look forward to? That sounds basic. How many know every Tuesday morning for the last nine years, I've played tennis at 6 a.m. with the same group of guys and I still look forward to it every week. You know what I look forward to every morning? A cup of coffee. Not your Keurig Green Mountain trash. I'm talking about one really good, not Folgers in your cup. I want one really good cup of coffee. I only drink one cup every day. Life's too short to drink bad coffee. I look forward to the cup of coffee. I look forward to that. I enjoy it. What does Sabbath look like in your life? My day off is Friday. Uh, Our kids are at school on Fridays until the afternoon. That's become my Sabbath day. I don't look at my emails. If you text me on a Friday, I'm probably not gonna text you back until later that evening or, or night or maybe the next day. I try not to get consumed with work. I try not to over plan it because how many know I'm a planner? And it's like, oh, we're gonna do this from nine to 9.50 and then 9.50, Lindsay, we're gonna go here for 10.45, you know? And like, she doesn't want that either. So we should enjoy our day. You wanna eat, go eat breakfast today? We wanna go walk around somewhere? Enjoy one of them. What are the things that replenish our soul? What are things that just have fun and play? And I, I enjoy playing golf. I, I play golf on Fridays. How many know golf for me is not necessarily about how well I play? It's a way just to disconnect from things. It's four, four and a half hours where I can be outside in God's creation and just yell at my clubs, you know, and just have a good time and try not to be overly competitive. What replenishes you? What breaks you out of your cycle? When do you have fun? What brings you back to the present? All of these things, and you're like, why, this, this is different today. That's okay, it's really practical today. Is that all right? All of these things bring you back to beauty and wonder. All of these things allow yourself to be present, to live into that second story, to be like the psalmist where you can kind of step back and be like, man, look at the handiwork of God. When you're busy, when you're distracted, when you're in a hurry, you miss the beauty of what God is doing. What if we learn to be radically present? see the wonder and beauty and the things all around us. What needs to shift inside of you this morning in order for you to see the beauty of God's creation? That's, how, that's where I want to leave us this morning. What needs to shift? Maybe is it letting go of control? Like you always have a plan. You're always thinking about what's next. Like right now, even at church, you can't enjoy this moment because you're trying to think of where you're going to go and what you're going to do with your rest of your day. How many know God is already going to give you the grace later when you need it so you can be present in the moment right now? And you can just rest right here in what God wants for you? Maybe it's letting go of the past, letting go of my need to know the future. Maybe some of you in the room today, in order to be radically present, you have to truly believe in the innermost places in your heart that your Heavenly Father is good. If you don't believe that your Heavenly Father is good, and how many know it will be hard to truly rest? It'll be hard to play and, and be imaginative and be creative because you're gonna be worried about the things that you can't control. 
Maybe it's becoming like a little child. Maybe you need some more play in your life. You need some moments to laugh and to be around the right people and things that you enjoy that inspire you, things that bring out creativity in your life. How many know I used to always say to myself that I'm not a creative uh, because I, 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 I can't do stuff like in this magazine, like these great artists, but how many know I'm creative in my own way? Just probably not in the way you're creative. And my creativity comes out in different ways. I like to write, I like words, I like to read. If you gave me a paintbrush and you asked me to do some piece of art, it's gonna get really ugly really quick, all right? But you're creative. How do you express your creativity? Training your heart and soul. Cultivating a heart that's present. I love this quote by Francine Prose. She said, maybe the burning bush was burning all the time and Moses didn't notice. Maybe the miracle is when you stop and pay attention. Maybe. Maybe. I feel like Lindsay and I were just talking about this the other day, that it's like life happens so quickly. And we can see it in the lives of our kids as they grow up and mature in these moments that we have. And it's just almost like this is real that's just flying by. And one of the things we've been talking about so much lately is just like not missing the moments, amen? Just enjoying every moment. Things that you're like, man, I don't want to go there again. I am so sick of baseball practice right now and telling myself, like, you know what? I'm going to love this moment because I won't get this with my eight-year-old again. And he loves baseball. And dad, if I have to sit here on an entire Sunday afternoon during your doubleheader one more time, come on now, fall ball's over. I don't have to do that this afternoon, amen. Learn to love that moment. Lean into that moment. Don't just watch it pass. Don't just hope that it goes by as quickly as possible. Finding the beauty in the mundane and the everyday I don't know what your daily routines are. I'm not telling you yours need to be mine. But I've learned something about me. Uh, I learned that I don't like to start my day in a hurry. I don't show up well whenever I wake up and I'm rushed. I like to get up before anybody else in the house gets up because I like to move slow. I like my pour over of one really good cup of coffee. Say that again, one really good, good cup of coffee. And I like to sit there and I'll turn on like music, mostly instrumental, things like that. And I like to sit on the couch in the living room. I'll be honest with you, I light a candle a lot of times. I'm a candle guy, so what? And I drink my one really good cup of coffee. And you're like, I'm sure you spend all that time in prayer, right, Pastor? Maybe. Sometimes I just sit there. Years ago, I would be like, that's not productive enough. You need to be interceding during that time. But now I'm okay just sitting there with Jesus with my really good cup of coffee in my robe. Come on, you're getting a visual right now you never wanted. (laughs) Can't unsee that, stop it. And I'll do that for 30, 40 minutes. Sometimes close my eyes, just time of just meditating stopping about 10-15 minutes before the kids are going to wake up get my phone out I read my four daily prayers off my phone every day and I grab my journal bible I'm in the book of Hebrews right now and sometimes I read two verses and sometimes I read a chapter 
Sometimes I write pages and sometimes I write nothing. It's just a rhythm for me that works. I'll know what works for you. But you know what this rhythm does more than anything else? It establishes my day of just slowing down and being present, which I'm not good at because I don't wanna miss it, right? I don't wanna miss it. I wanna see the beauty and the wonder of life all around me. And so setting my day off and saying, God, I, I set my heart, my mind towards you, amen? I wanna end this morning, I'm gonna read this passage. If you don't have our streams in the desert magazine, you should get it. So we are following along with the themes that are in this magazine, it's our sermon series. Dalmo, you wrote this prayer, this liturgy. Thank you for writing this. We're gonna read it. It's gonna be on the screen here as well. The Liturgy of Wonder. It says, Creator God, giver of joy. In a world that rushes and soars, we pause in your presence. We silence our hearts, our minds, and our mouths just to behold you. Amid the clamor and clutter, we choose to marvel in your majesty. We remember you, the sculptor of stars, the painter of sunsets. We remember you, the composer of dawn, the architect of the seasons. Amid the hustle and bustle, we choose to witness your wonder. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, rekindle in us the flame of fascination. Foster in us a heart of holiness, a spirit of sanctity, as we observe your creativity in creation. Amen. Stand to your feet with me across this room. you would, just take a few minutes in your own way just to prepare your heart. Prepare your heart for what God wants to do in you, what the Holy Spirit is speaking, for us to come to the table as the family of God in just a few minutes to receive the body and the blood.